for that, Juliana. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 6, that'd be wonderful. Uh, there is also a sermon outline in your bulletins that will help you follow along, uh, and that would also be helpful. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you that you reveal yourself and that you speak in and through your word. We do pray now, ask now as we open up the Bible, uh, as we look at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, uh, that you might be so gracious as to strengthen and encourage us in the way we pray, in the way we relate to you, uh, so that more and more we might learn to walk closely with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we had a break last week uh, where we looked at Psalm 1. Uh, Pastor Joe took us through Psalm 1, encouraging us to immerse ourselves in the Word. And this week we're coming back and we're coming back to the prayer Jesus taught His disciples to pray. And, and what you have here, a very quick reminder, is a model of how to approach God in prayer, certainly for the Christian. And prayer according to Jesus, just a quick recap, begins with knowing who it is you're speaking to, who it is you are running to, looking for help, looking to find your refuge in. And, and it's so important for us to understand this when it comes to prayer. The posture of prayer in life is not just a religious thing, okay? So it's not like, oh, religious people pray, non-religious people don't. Religious people pray, secular people don't. No, it's not true. Um, the posture of prayer is an everybody thing because everyone adopts a posture of prayer in life. Because we're always running to, to find our refuge. We're always looking to find our help, our joy, our security in that which we think is powerful enough to meet our needs, powerful enough to help us in our circumstances, powerful enough to give us assurance about our future. Which is why if you're a follower of Jesus, your prayer life is always an indicator of whose throne you believe is powerful enough and sufficient enough to meet all your needs in life. Your prayer life indicates that. Your daily port of call. The first place you run to in your time of need, your comfort when tragedy strikes, your contentment when you're lonely, your assurance when anxious, your wisdom when unsure. And so notice Jesus says, verse 9, pray our Father in heaven. And so, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the first thing you need to know when it comes to prayer. Know who it is you are praying to. God is both a Father who is always lovingly committed to you. We know that because of Jesus and what He sent Jesus to do. And God is also a Father who is powerfully in control over any and every circumstance you find yourself in because heaven is His throne. Nothing escapes His rule and His power and His ability to help us in our situations in life. And so, if it's true that God is a Father who is lovingly committed to you, and if it is true that His power and rule is unmatched over your circumstances in life, if it's true that He sits on a higher throne and He's in control over everything and He is for you, the logic that follows is this. If you are his children, if you are his son, and if you are his daughter, then the logic is that as his child, you would run to him in any and every circumstance you find yourself in. In fact, that is what should give you confidence in prayer, knowing that God is your father and God is powerfully in control over the circumstances of your life. There's no one who loves you more, and there's no one more powerful for you, working for you in your circumstances. Okay? So, so that's the logic. 
Which is why verse 11 is so significant. So in your Bibles, you notice, it's no surprise. Jesus then says, verse 11, if God is your Father who is in heaven, in control over your circumstances, He says, bring your daily needs to God your Father. Each day. Can you see there? Bring your daily needs before Him. Pray, give us today our daily bread. Uh, Practice daily dependence on God. For everything, bring your daily needs to Him. But then, now in verse 12, which is what we're looking at today, notice there's a second daily need that Jesus highlights in verse 12. A second thing we are encouraged to seek, to ask God for, to pray daily, and that is to pray daily for, notice, forgiveness. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You see there? Now, everyone here, uh, I think praying for daily bread is like the default position of our heart uh, because we tend to pray for stuff, don't we? That's the, like the default uh, prayer movement, as it were, when we come to God in prayer. We're always asking God for stuff, to do things for us, to fix things in our lives, to give us stuff. Now, I want to say to you that bringing your daily needs to God in prayer is a good thing. It's a very good thing. It's an expression that we are and we will always be dependent on God for our needs, all our needs. Uh, we need God to bless us, our endeavors, our work, the work of our hands. We need God to flourish us in our relationships, our families. And, and Jesus does not deny our physical needs, does He? That's why He says, if you look with me at verse 11, pray for daily bread. Bring your needs to God in prayer. We need daily bread to grow and thrive. But in teaching us to pray, notice he also wants us to recognize that what we most need each day is not just our daily physical needs, but our daily spiritual needs. That comes to us in verse 12. Uh, Maybe you've never realized this, but each day, if you've never realized this, you have spiritual needs that you need to live each day. You need spiritual needs to help you grow in godliness each day. You, need, you have spiritual needs to experience joy and thanksgiving in the Christian life. Uh, you need spiritual provision to give you strength to keep persevering each day and to be faithful to Jesus. And verse 12 actually tells us that this cannot happen if we're not dealing with our personal sins. You can't grow if you're not shedding and dealing with your daily sins. If you're not dealing with the habitual patterns of ungodliness in your life, if you're not dealing with the idols in your heart, if you are not dealing with the substitute gods you run to to find your security and your happiness in life, the hidden sins you keep ignoring, or maybe the seemingly insignificant sins you gloss over. And so, you may not realize this, but in your life, and certainly in my life, each day, there are things that are hindering our walk with God. Uh, There are things that are stealing our affection and love for Jesus. There are things that are not actually helping us grow in a love and trust in Jesus, but are actually leading us to trust other things in our lives. And so Jesus says one of the things we must learn to do each day is to pray for daily forgiveness. Now, the obvious question is why pray for daily forgiveness? Is it because God wants to depress you? and make you focus on your weakness, your sin, your guilt? Uh, is, is, it, is it because God wants you to focus on your failure? No, of course not. So why pray for daily forgiveness? 
Uh, it's there in your outline. Here's the first reason. We are to pray for daily forgiveness simply because we need to be reminded of God's grace. We need to be reminded of God's grace each day. Notice what Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Uh, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 reads, forgive us our sins. And that's because in the Bible, there are actually different ways of describing our sin. Owing a great debt to someone is one way of describing sin. Uh, We need to daily remind ourselves of our need for forgiveness and God's gracious provision for forgiveness in our lives. We, We need to do that each day to remind ourselves of what God has done for us graciously in the Lord Jesus. Praying for forgiveness daily reminds us that what we most need each day is Jesus's saving and cleansing work in our lives. That's what we most need each day. And learning to pray this prayer actually helps us stay close to Jesus. Because I'm reminded each day that I don't just need daily bread, which we all know we need. It's also a reminder that I need God's provision and cleansing of sin in my life each day. It helps me to keep loving Jesus as I remind myself each day of God's overwhelming generosity and love and forgiveness. In fact, that's how Jesus himself puts it in Matthew 18, which is why Juliana read that for us, because the parable Jesus tells reminds us of God's generosity, of God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus. And in that parable, you'll notice that God's forgiveness of sin is described as wiping away a great debt. Interesting, isn't it? And so even as we seek forgiveness, we must be reminded of God's desire to grant us forgiveness. God is not the kind of Father who is withholding grace. He's the kind of Father who wants to forgive, who desires to give us forgiveness. Uh, The parable of the unmerciful servant, right, Matthew 18, many of you are very, very familiar with that. Uh, There in Matthew 18, maybe you want to go to Matthew 18 now and have a quick look at it with me. at those verses. I think it begins in verse 21. But in the parable of the unmerciful servant, our sin is described as a great debt that we cannot repay, okay? Uh, The story goes like this, as you heard, a servant owes his king a great debt, and the size of his debt is beyond measure. Uh, Your version of the Bible, the NIV, right? Uh, This is not the NIV, uh, this is the NIV, the, the latest NIV. I think if you go back to 2011, it's In your version, it says, or the version read for us, it says, 10,000 bags of gold. Now, that's not very helpful, right? So if you look at your Bibles, you'll notice that there's a little uh, note over there. And if you click on the note, if you're using it online, or if you look at your physical Bibles, you'll notice it it says it's it's 10,000 talents, okay? And so bags of gold, talents, but 10,000 talents, that's what it is. And and at this point, when you read a parable like this, you've got to do the maths, uh, you've got to do the maths. And so, you know, I'm looking at the mathematicians or the, you know, accountants in the room. I'm looking at John O'Co over there. Let's see how fast he calculates for me. But do the maths, right? So it's 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. And, and what we know is that one talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii. Okay, one talent, 6,000 denarii. One denarius was a day's wage. Okay, so you worked a day as a laborer, you got one denarius. Okay, so 10,000 talents becomes 60 million denarii. It's a lot of money, right? That's the equivalent of 
60 million working days to pay off the debt. Now, how many years would that take? Jono, how many years would that take? Okay, 60 million working days it would take. Jono's doing the maths in his head, and Jono has done it, and he says it would take 164,383 years. Okay, that's what he would say. He's already done it. Okay, that's how long it would take to pay the debt. If you work seven days, it would take you 164,383 years to pay back 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. Now, the point of the parable Jesus tells is if you do the maths, you, you begin to discover this servant is in such a great debt. And it's a reminder to us that you and I are in great debt when it comes to God, a debt so large that no work can pay for it. You cannot earn your way out of this debt. That's the whole point of the parable, right? And the servant's response in verse 26, that's why when you read verse 26, it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? Because look at what he says in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him, and he says, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Yeah, be waiting 164,000 years. Even in a lifetime, he could never repay the debt. It's humanly impossible to pay the debt. And the point is, you and I can never pay our debt when it comes to our relationship with God, a relationship that's broken. And and I want to say, this is what makes the Christian faith or Christianity different from religion. Because religion says, you can pay the debt. Try your hardest to pay your debt. Work to pay off your debt. Be good enough to pay off your, your debt. Be better to pay off your debt. But Christianity says, you cannot pay the debt. It's too large. It's impossible. And in this parable, Jesus tells, notice how is the debt paid off? Well, the king in the parable we read, he has pity on the servant and he does the unbelievable. He cancels his debt and he lets the servant go. This huge sum of money, right? 164,000 years worth of wages canceled, wiped out. And so in Christianity, God cancels the debt that is owed to him. Only in Christianity do you actually have that. God, we're told in the parable, we're told God is an incredibly gracious king who actually wipes out our debt. He forgives our debt. He's a great king to whom we owe everything in life. We owe him a great debt that we cannot pay, not even in a thousand years, and God wipes it out. Now, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 23, uh, gives us a reason why we are in debt, okay? And so, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, 23, uh, we, we read that at the very heart of our sinfulness is that we live in God's world, but we reject Him. We enjoy His blessings, but we reject Him. And so, there in Romans chapter 1, verse 23, we read, we, you know, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. It's the Bible's way of saying that we live in God's world, we take from the hand of the Creator, and we worship the created things rather than the God who has blessed us with those things. Uh, That's why we're in great debt. We exchange God's glory for the stuff He gives us in life. We worship the gifts rather than the giver. We exchange the infinite for the finite. And so we're in great debt when it comes to the Creator. We live in His world. We take and we enjoy everything we have from His hand, but we ignore Him. And it's a debt that you and I cannot repay or make up for. Now, I don't know about you, but if you know anything about debt, you know that there are consequences when you cannot pay that debt. There are, right? 
Uh, if, you know, if you default on a home loan, uh, you get a warning notice once, twice, three times, and eventually what happens? Your house gets repossessed. Now, here's a question I want to ask. Right? Have you ever wondered, what happens when you default on the God of the universe? What can pay for that? What do you do when you live in God's world? You take from His hands the blessings He gives you, but you reject Him. When you worship the stuff He gives you, and you reject Him, right? Well, nothing can pay for it. Uh, You can't pay for your own sins, but God is able to cancel the debt you owe Him because Jesus took the consequences for you at the cross. And so it's not like God overlooks the debt we owe Him. God doesn't do that. It's not like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. No. Someone has to bear the consequences. So God doesn't just cancel our debt by ignoring our sin. Someone bears the consequences. And so God, the reason why God is able to cancel our debt of sin in our lives is because He takes the consequences and He places it on His Son. That's why Jesus died. He was punished in your place. He was crushed in your place so that you and I might actually know forgiveness. And so what happens is when you pray for daily forgiveness, it's a reminder to you and to me each day that we live under grace. We live under grace for our physical needs, and guess what? We live under grace for our spiritual needs. We live in the shadow of a gracious God who loves us and who has made possible forgiveness through Jesus. Uh, we, we belong to a great king who is also our father who has wiped out our debt of sin completely because he has placed the consequences on Jesus. And so praying daily for forgiveness of sin reminds us of God's generosity, God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus. And so it's not meant to crush you. It's not meant to depress you. It's meant to liberate you. That's what it's meant to do. So that's number one. Number two, we're to pray for daily forgiveness simply because we sin each day. We do. Here's the second reason why we need to pray for daily forgiveness. Jesus actually assumes that you and I will always need to seek forgiveness because there, there isn't a single day in our lives that we don't sin. We overlook our sin, but there isn't a single day in our lives that we don't sin. And so this is the problem with all of us. Uh, either we underestimate our sinfulness, right? I'm not that bad, right? I'm not that wicked. I'm not that ungodly. We don't need forgiveness, and so we don't think much about our sin or the depth of our sin, or we overestimate our godliness. We elevate how good we are. We think we're more moral than we really are. We think we're more generous than we really are. We're good enough, and therefore we have no need to work on anything in our lives because we're not like other people, right? So we either underestimate our sinfulness or we overestimate our godliness. Now, I want to say to you this evening that becoming a follower of Jesus does not mean you stop sinning. It doesn't mean that your habitual sins disappear. It doesn't mean that you no longer struggle with ungodliness. It doesn't mean that you no longer have wicked thoughts. It doesn't mean that your passion for idols and substitutes in life disappears. It doesn't mean that you stop being a difficult or annoying person. Uh, Becoming a follower of Jesus means that you start recognizing your sin more and more each day. But it also means that as you do that, you start to also bring your sins more and more each day to Jesus so that He deals with it. And so understand this, growth in the Christian life is actually a process, right? The fancy word for it is sanctification. 
God is sanctifying us. He's growing us. And so the trajectory is that you are growing to be more and more like the one who has saved you, right? To be more and more like our heroes in life. And our hero or the hero for the Christian is always Jesus, our Redeemer and King. That's why in Colossians 1.28, remember the Apostle Paul says, everything Paul does is so that he might present us mature in Christ, more like Jesus. But you've got to ask yourself, how does maturity take place in the Christian life? Like, how do you grow in maturity? Okay? Yeah, you can say read your Bible more. That's cool. That's right. Uh, but maturity takes place as we, come, as we become more and more aware of our sin. Uh, as we see what we are not in light of who He is and what we should be. That's how maturity comes about. As we see what we are not in light of who He is and what we should be. And so growth actually comes as you begin to deal with your sin in life, as we start to remove the weeds in our lives. And so you cannot grow in the Christian life without a growing awareness of sin, without a growing a life of confession and repentance, without growing in daily forgiveness taking place. That's how you grow in the Christian life. Now, don't misunderstand me. Very important. Forgiveness of sin is a once-off event. So in other words, when Jesus died at the cross, He dealt with your sin, past, present, and future. That's really important to get that. Um, justification is, is once-off. It's done. It's paid for. Because remember, the great king actually says, forgiven. The debt is wiped clean in Matthew 18. But as you walk in the world, as you live the Christian life in the world, we become soiled and tarnished by sin because we struggle. We live in a fallen world. Our bodies are still fallen, all of us. And so, though we have been forgiven, we still need forgiveness as an ongoing practice because we will still sin. We will still fail. And, and that's the reason why, uh, if you have your Bibles, maybe you want to go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. This is the only Bible flip I'll probably do, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. Uh, because 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10 actually reminds us that the, that the mark, the, the, the indicator of those who are children of God, how do you know that you are a child of God? How do you know you're a son, a daughter of the Father? Well, the answer is by your ongoing confession of sin. That's how you know someone is a child of God, because... Confession of sin is a daily, regular practice in their lives. And so 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, let me read this for us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He'll forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word has no place in our lives. And so what you begin to discover is that ongoing confession of sin and the seeking of forgiveness is what marks out those who are the children of God. Why? Because it shows you're walking in the light. Where the light shines, the darkness uncovers grime and filth and trash, right? Where the light shines, sin becomes evident. And the more the light shines, the more the darkness unveils our sin. And that's why confession and seeking forgiveness is the evidence that you and I are in the light. Um, you know, I don't know about your homes, but when Pauline and I moved into our current home, uh, you know, we, b before we moved into our current home uh, over, over a decade ago, you know, you go to the open house and everything is so nice. It, it was like everything was so nice. Um, and then when we moved into the, to the home, uh, the dishwasher broke down. 
And so what happens here, we pull the dishwasher out, and underneath the dishwasher, there was like balls and balls and balls of cat hair. Now, I was quite fortunate I like cats, okay? So that's all right, but it was just tons of cat hair. And we discovered at that point that the, the previous owners had a cat, but every time you came to the open home, somehow there was no indicator of an animal in the house, okay? And, and over time, we discovered there was cat hair in many places, hidden away. But this is what actually happens, right? There, there are places in your home that are in the dark, under the tables, who knows where, and until the light shines and unveils the darkness, you don't see the dirt. You don't see the grime. You don't see the filth. I want to say to you, the Christian life is exactly the same. The more light shines, the more we begin to see our need for cleansing. That's why your reading of the Scriptures are important. And so where there is no seeking of forgiveness as a regular practice in your life, uh, it either means you're self-deceived or a liar when it comes to sin, or you are walking in darkness. Uh, Children of the light who walk in the light confess their sins. Uh, They seek forgiveness, not just once off, but as an ongoing pattern of life. As an ongoing pattern of life. I mean, the evidence that God is your father and you are his child is your regular confession of sin in life. Uh, In fact, growth in the Christian life cannot take place if daily I'm not seeking regular forgiveness. If I'm not seeking forgiveness, it just means I'm not dealing with areas of darkness in my life. Uh, I'm not dealing with my heart idols, my habitual sins. I'm not addressing ungodliness in my words and my thoughts and my relationships. That's why Jesus says, pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins. To pray for forgiveness is actually a prayer seeking growth in your personal life. Did you hear that? To pray each day for forgiveness is actually a prayer seeking growth and maturity in the Christian life. Don't just give me daily bread. Give me what I most need. Forgiveness. God, deal with my sins. Deal with my failures. Deal with my guilt. Deal with my ungodliness. Deal with my patterns of wickedness. Uh, Deal with my thoughts that are dark. Deal with my ungodly attitudes that are hidden. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me. And this is why I have to say that maybe the reason why sometimes our Christian life is powerless, maybe empty. Uh, For many of us, maybe the Christian life lacks joy and thanksgiving, right? We're never joyful, we're never thankful. Might be because we have not given ourselves to dealing with our daily sins in life. We've never dealt with the idols and the attitudes. Uh, We've never dealt with the ungodliness. So here's a question. When was the last time you confessed your sins and sought God's forgiveness? When was the last time you confessed your sins and sought God's forgiveness? And and let's not count the weekly confession of sin, you know, when you come to church on Sunday in the bulletin, we do confession of sin. Let's not count that. Let's put it aside. But when was the last time you confessed your sins and sought God's forgiveness? A week ago? A month ago? six months ago, a year ago, but that actually then begins to tell you how much light is at work in your life, because the darkness is actually meant to uncover, uh, the light is actually meant to uncover the darkness, which reveals areas that you and I need to address, or bring to God anyway. And so, I want to encourage you to pursue forgiveness daily as a means to growing in the Christian life. Yeah, maybe that's something you can commit to, not just as we come to the tail end of the year, as we move into next year. So how can we actually practice forgiveness daily? Well, let me give you some practical things, okay? It involves three things. It's there in your outline. The first thing I want to say is practice self-examination. 
And the reason why we're not a culture that practices self-examination is because everyone's busy. Too busy, not enough time. Well, practice self-examination. That's how you grow in the Christian life, right? Reflect on your thoughts, your words, your deeds during the day or through the day. Uh, Seek to identify the darkness, areas of ungodliness that you might not have realized are sinful. Uh, Where have you done what you shouldn't have done? Uh, Are there areas in life where you have not done what you should have done? And so self-examination is not meant to lead us to despair. It's not meant to crush us. In fact, we need to always remind ourselves that the practice of self-examination is a self-examination of love. We want God to search us. Uh, We want God to help us see our hearts and our thoughts, Uh, which is why the psalmist prays. Psalm 139, you know, the psalmist, as he comes and he approaches God, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, the psalmist actually prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist desires that God examine his heart, his mind. Notice the purpose of self-examination, so that I might find life everlasting, so that I might find myself on the path that leads to life. That is always the purpose of God's correction. To get me on the highway that leads to joy and security and pleasure and delight in Him. And so each day as you pray, spend time in self-examination. Ask God to search your heart, to reveal your hidden sins, uh, that He might help you scrutinize your thoughts, your relationships, your words, your actions. Ask that God might uncover the darkness in your life. Ask yourself, are there any sins or failings that need forgiveness in your relationships with the people around you, maybe colleagues, maybe friends, family? Have you been godly? What idols have captured the affection of your heart each day? Uh, John Wesley, many of you will know John Wesley, he had he wrote 22 self-examination questions that he used personally, that he also distributed to all his Bible study groups, right? This was 250 years ago, right? Uh, and he distributed, and he said, he, and he gave it to them to encourage them to practice self-examination. You can go home today, Google John Wesley uh, self-examination questions, and they are great questions. Uh, you don't have to do it every day, but it's worth actually looking at those questions each week. 22 questions, Right? Because I know some people are like, oh, I don't know what to repent of. Well, after you read the 22 questions, you'll find at least 15 or more. His questions go something like this. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Uh, Am I honest in all my actions and words or do I exaggerate? Uh, Do I confidently pass... uh, Do I confidentially pass on to another what was told to me in confidence? In other words, am I a gossip? Do I always gossip about people? Number four, can I be trusted? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? The modern equivalent is, am I a slave to Instagram likes? Uh, Number six, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Am I a self-righteous person? Number seven, did did the Bible live in me today? Did I live out God's Word today? Uh, Do I give time to speak uh, do, I, do, I give it, do I give it time for the Bible to speak to me each day? Do I read the Bible each day? Am I enjoying prayer? Uh, when did I last speak to someone about my faith? Uh, do I pray about the money I spend? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Do I get to bed on time and get up on time? Right? Do I look after my physical health? 
as Raymond prayed. Do I disobey God in anything? Do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? In other words, do I do stuff that goes against my conscience? Am I, uh, am I defeated in any part of my life? Right? Is there sin that besetting sins that control parts of my life? Uh, am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? How do I spend my spare time? Am I lazy? Am I proud? Do I thank God that I'm not like other people, especially as the Pharisees who despise the publican? Do I compare myself to others and think myself better than others? That's that question. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment towards, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Am I a person who holds grudges, who, who hasn't forgiven others? Uh, do I grumble or complain constantly? Am I filled with unthankfulness? Is Christ real and personal to me? 22 questions. Now, if you can't, you walk through the 22 questions, and if you say to me, look, I, I can't think of anything to repent of, you're a liar. <laughs> okay? I'm sure you can think of at least 15, just hearing those questions that I've rattled off. They are great questions, because they, they are questions that help us examine ourselves. In fact, self-examination was also a practice that Paul practice, you know, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to 6, Paul actually says to the Corinthian Christians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And if the Apostle Paul needed to do it, surely we need to do it too. So that's the first thing. The second thing is practice confession. So practice self-examination, practice confession. Bring what you found to God in prayer. Don't let it crush you. Don't let it defeat you. Bring the areas of darkness that God has revealed in your life and bring it to Him. These are my sins that you have shown me. Confession is a recognition that something has gone wrong. Plenty of stuff goes wrong in our lives, isn't it? It's a recognition that something has gone wrong, that we are sinful, that we fail, that we've fallen in love with something else, that our heart is in the grip of an idol, our mind has wandered, we've dishonored God, we've, dis- we've, we've broken relationship with other people, we're ungodly. Uh, and so, conf- you know, conf- Confession of sin is the recognition that, really, we have not loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, confession is owning your sin, and then bringing your sin and laying it before your Heavenly Father in humility. That's what it is. And that's the reason why each Sunday we do have a time of confession. Why, you know, people have said to us, you know, why do we have confession of sin in our service? Well, to worship God rightly, we must confess our sin. We must examine ourselves and confess our sin, as Jesus taught us to pray. Confession is a biblical practice. You and I need to hear that. Confession of sin is a biblical practice. And what we do in corporate worship, you know, the structure of our liturgy, what we do in corporate worship is what we should also be doing in our personal worship. That's what we should be doing, right? It's not like, oh, I want to worship God my way. No, we worship God his way. He dictates how we, wish we should approach and worship Him rightly. And so that's number two. The third thing is practice repentance. Repentance is making a decision to turn around. Uh, it's making the decision to make a change in your life and my life. And the primary turning, there's two turnings in repentance, by the way, two turnings in repentance. The first turning is turning upward to God for forgiveness and then turning to live His way rejecting your way and then learning to live His way. And so repentance involves two things, turning to God for forgiveness and then turning to live His way, to live under His rule, His purposes, His will. And so notice there are two steps, right? If you miss the first step, looking upward to Him for forgiveness, 
uh, it's not going to make any difference in your life because what's going to happen is if you do not turn to Him for forgiveness, you are going to try to deal with guilt your own way. You're going to try to make up for your guilt. You're going to try to do better. And I tell you, it's going to crush you. Uh, Guilt enslaves. Only grace liberates. Without turning to Him first, you are going to try to make up for your own sin. And every time you fail, it's going to keep crushing you. Repentance is turning first to the great King for forgiveness, and then secondly, turning to live His way. Now, if you miss the second step, it's not going to be any good either, because if there's now no turning to live His way, to pursue what He wants you to pursue, then it's a false repentance, isn't it? And we all know what that's like. The Bible calls it worldly grief. And so in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes, Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. That's the difference between godly grief and worldly grief. And it's seen in whether there is a change, a desire to change, whether we move our lives onto a different path. Now, I get it. We all feel bad about our sin. You know, when we hurt others, when we speak ill of others, uh, when you know, as we prayed in our prayer of confession today, when we do things that we shouldn't do and we neglect to do the things we should do, we feel guilty. But feeling bad doesn't mean it's repentance. That's just feeling bad. Godly sorrow is turning to God for forgiveness that He's made available for you in Jesus and then turning to live His way. Right? And so seeking forgiveness involves three things. Self-examination, confession, and then repentance. That's actually how growth takes place in the Christian life. That's how sanctification takes place. In fact, you cannot grow without forgiveness of sin or the practice of forgiveness of sin. Uh, Think about how growth works in all of life. This is a sort of a banal illustration, but think about how growth works in all of life. Uh, So take, for example, right, you might want to lose weight, okay? You want to lose weight? It takes three things, you know that? It takes self-examination. You look at yourself, what are the problem areas, right, in my body, right? I worked out, I can't wear skinny jeans, even though I can fit around the waist. Why? Because my thighs are too fat. So I've identified the areas of darkness. There it is. But then, there's confession, isn't it? Confession is the recognition that you've got a health problem. Uh, you're unhealthy, maybe. You're overweight, that you're overeating. Uh, and here's the thing, right? You can go to the doctor. I was speaking to Bernard this morning. He's a doctor. And he, he often says to me, look, I can tell my patient's stuff, But until they own it and make it theirs, nothing's going to change. Well, confession is actually owning it and taking responsibility for it. That you've got a weight issue, an overeating issue maybe. And then there's repentance. And repentance is turning around, doing something different, turning to someone who can help you, and then turning to a new way of life. And you've got a weight problem, well, then you've got to eat right, you've got to live right. Now, the Christian life actually works exactly the same way, no different. That's why Jesus says, pray for daily forgiveness. Self-examination, confession of sin, repentance. So don't just pray for your physical needs. I know we all do that. Pray for your greater need, your spiritual needs to grow and thrive. So when was the last time you took time out for self-examination? When was the last time you took time out to really confess your personal sins? And when was the last time you spent in repentance seeking God's forgiveness and His way? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear today's word as a word of discouragement. Hear it as God's word of encouragement. That's why 
Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, there is a God who loves you, who is powerfully in control over your circumstances. He knows you need daily bread to grow and thrive, and that's why he says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. But he also knew that you also needed daily forgiveness to grow and thrive. And so he taught them to pray, forgive us our debts, our sin. God, your Father, wants to meet your deepest need, not just your physical need. And so come each day to find yourself washed over by His grace, overwhelmed by His love for you, cleansed by His work on the cross, conquered by His undeserving love. Come each day to have your sins dealt with. Come each day to find the assurance that the gospel gives you forgiveness. Come each day to have more and more of the darkness pushed out in your life. Come each day to know the depths of His forgiveness. Let me encourage you this week to give time to this. Uh, Learn to pray and seek God as Jesus taught you to pray. Make self-examination and confession and repentance your daily prayer. Let me invite you to pray with me as we close this wonderful prayer of confession. Uh, Make it yours as I make it mine. Most merciful Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways always to the glory of your name. Father, we pray the words of Psalm 51. Create in us a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us today the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit Sustain us, O Lord. Amen.